If you have a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, anybody want to read for us this morning? Anybody feeling it? It's not a lot of verses. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Come on, somebody's got to read. Is there uh, not somebody that's feeling a great sense of responsibility right now? That if they don't do it, they're going to wonder why not. I got a reader. All right. Too late, man. Dude, y'all could come up and read it in unison. What do you think? Would y'all like to hear that? We would like to hear that. Come on up. All right. This is awesome. We've never done this at Midtown. (laughs) Okay, y'all are going to use that microphone right there. First, introduce yourselves. I'm Catherine. I'm James. Okay, now what's going to be cool is do y'all have the same version of the New Testament? (laughs) All right, glory. The Lord is already working. All right, we're going to start in verse 12 and read through 17. Introduce yourselves. Okay. Catherine. James. <laughs> Do you all know each other? Oh, I just... Awesome. Wait, wait. Uh, okay, all right. Before you read, let me give you a little heads up, all right? They've never done this before. Have we ever met? Okay, now they're not going to do a magic trick. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Remember, what we're doing is, uh, we, this is a remarkable season for us to be in this passage. I mean, it is just, I want you to not miss the fact that this is our last Sunday in here. And God, we've been studying through Colossians, and this is where we are. This is just the rotation. We didn't pull this out. God is saying something to us today. We moved in here seven years ago. We bought 100 chairs in faith. We paid $5 a chair. They were, they were throwaways. I know that's hard to believe, isn't it? That these chairs, they're glorious. That the rental companies in, here in town didn't want them anymore, so they sold them to us for $5 a piece. We bought 100 On faith, $500 we scraped together to buy chairs, not knowing what God was going to do. And, you know, it's hard to imagine how many people have walked through that door in the last seven years. People that have been a part of us that uh, have come through here and now are on the mission field have graduated from school and gone on to, who knows? I mean, some of you that have been here for seven years, can you even estimate how many people God's brought through this building? It's really remarkable uh, what he's doing. And so with that in mind, we thought about uh, a great way to commemorate. I know, hey, y'all are great. We thought, wouldn't it be great to commemorate this last Sunday by bringing everybody a can of spray paint and just tagging the whole building during the service? Then we realized we would all die because we wouldn't be able to breathe in this room, all right? <laughs> and here's what, as I started to pray, our staff started, man, what are the crazy ideas we could do this last Sunday, this last Sunday, you know? Let's do something, paint, chalk, I don't know, you know? Let's knock down a wall. Let's do... And the Lord just in prayer just said to me very profoundly, uh, don't talk about the building today. And I'll tell you why. Because I want, and I want you to hear the passage that God used this building, but you want to know the supernatural work that he's done? Look around you. He is building something more profound than bricks and mortar. 
and it's you. And the church is not this building any more than it's the one with the steeple over there, which I love the guys at First Baptist. But that's not the church. You're the church. We're the church. So let's hear this. And we've been talking about Colossians. We've gone through chapter 1 and 2 where it says this is who Jesus is and this is what he's done. And chapter 3 is if that's true, everything changes with us. Everything. And the first thing he says is now you've got to get naked. Glory. You know, take off. And then he says, now put on. And that's where we're at. Okay, guys, this is your moment in unison. 12 you probably never figured this would happen when you woke up this morning. No. Yep, 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whatever in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Woo! You guys are amazing. I don't think you even practiced that, did you? If you're like me, it's hard to hear when people are reading in unison. It's a weird little glitch I have in my head. Uh, So let's go back over what they just read and let's study it for a minute. Because you may have noticed this morning when you came in, there's a tree in the middle of the room. If you didn't notice that, then... You probably were out too late last night (laughs) with a blender. Uh, The Lord is doing something here. He's done something here, and he's planted a tree in this place. You know, he's planted a tree in this community, in this city. He's planted Midtown. You know, in Psalm 1, it says that when the Lord works, that we are like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever he does or we do prospers. I mean, that's remarkable, isn't it? When God is at work, remarkable supernatural things happen. And so we're in this passage where God has said, I worked, and I worked through my son Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And because of that, now I'm calling you to to do something remarkable. And the first thing that we read uh, and we studied months ago was take off, you can go study that if you want. But this, this season, we've been talking about put on. I wish I could draw like clothes. Some of you can draw, all right? And that's a beautiful gift. I obviously don't have that gift. But we're to clothe ourselves, and we're to clothe ourselves with... Yeah, okay, that was sad, wasn't it? All right? All right, all right. Just, all right, okay. That we're to clothe ourselves. And we're to clothe ourselves with compassion, with gentleness with humility, with kindness, with, what's the last one? Patience. That we're to put these things on. And then last week we talked about, well, what do we do when we have these clothes on? That we're to forgive. Now, why is he saying that? Right before that, he says, bear one another up, or bear with one another, 
or have forbearance with one another. And the picture there is, is that we are, to, we are to stand in each other's lives supporting one another. It's almost like seeing Dave and Emily up here and a community reaching out and holding them up as they seek to raise these two boys. As they seek to enter into this hard journey of being parents and raising kids in an uncertain world. But as a community, we stand around them and we put our hands on them and prop them up. You got that image? And here's what's remarkable. If I got something against you, you're not going to prop me up. If If I can't forgive you, I don't want you touching me, right? Have you ever had somebody you despise come up to you in a party and want to hug you? And you're like, "Uh." why? Because emotionally, I've not forgiven them. Therefore, physically, I don't want them near me, right? And Dave talked about this last week, about how important it is to forgive. And here's what's even more important. I am not going to prop you up if I haven't forgiven you. If I got something against you, I'm not going to come prop you up. I'm going to celebrate your fall because then I'm proven right. Well, it goes a step further. Yesterday, my daughter and I were, were eating uh, fajitas and eating lots of chips to celebrate all the runners who burn calories in Nashville. <laughs> Maggie and I felt like it was our universal duty to balance the scale. Uh, as, we, as we stepped over all those, uh, what are those little... These things, glute things, you know, you, they, the runners squirt in their mouth. They glittered all over Belmont. We stepped over all of them to our feast of calories. Uh, and we were talking about this. And we were talking about it's one thing to forgive, but then Paul goes the step further. He says, after you forgive, he does that. Yeah. Love. And I don't know about you, but it's one thing for me to forgive somebody and still keep them at a distance. I can say, oh, yeah, I forgive them. Yeah, I've released them from that. I don't, hey, I'm over it. I, you know, I can see them at a party, and that's great. I hope they have a great life. But if I came to you and said, hey, have you put into your life the discipline of loving them? <laughs> Wait a minute. That literally is crazy. It's crazy. For me to love somebody that has abused my friendship, has hurt me, maybe somebody who's stolen from me, somebody who's lied about me, somebody who's spread rumors about me, somebody who's fill in the blank, the person that you can't seem to find whatever God gives you that you can forgive them. And finally it happens, but now Paul is saying, and tie all these things together with love. So how do we do that? Because if God is building a community here, if we are more than the bricks and mortars and the concrete floor that you're stepping on, if that's more of who we are at Midtown, the the living work of God in each other's lives, that we're there to prop one another up, to hold one another, to be a community that lives and thrives together, to be a light in this city for the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Because quite frankly, some of you irritate each other. Yeah. It's just true, I know. In the early 70s, the band The Who came out with their their first, I think it was their only rock opera. Does anybody know what that was? What? No, it was their second rock opera. 
Yes, Quadrophenia. And their very last song, and it said, it's the story of a, uh, of a troubled youth who at the end of this story, he'd come to the end of his own self, lonely and deserted on an island. And he begins to sing a song. Do y'all know what that song is? I love it when I know something y'all don't know, but then again, I had to look it up. Uh, It's the song, Love Reign Over Me. And it's this song where he is in a rainstorm and he is screaming. I think it's Eddie Vedder who, uh, from Pearl Jam, redid it uh, just recently. And he is, he is screaming in the, in the chorus, his love reign over me. Love reign over me. The last, the last verse on the dry and dusty road. The nights we spent apart alone. He's talking about a lost love here. I need to get back home to cool, cool rain. The night is hot and black as ink. Oh, God, I need a drink of cool, cool rain. Love, rain over me. And it's a funny switch of words because when he says, love, rain over me, it's not R-A-I-N. It's R-E-I-G-N. In other words, Lord, love, become the Lord of my life. Rain over me. Be the one that sets the rules. Be the one that says, follow where I'm going. Become the guide for me. Become the compass for me. Become the thing that defines me and directs me and reigns my life. Let everything about me be marked by love. Let people be able to see me and go, that person is led by love. And here's what's really cool. We're going to talk about three things real quick. Paul says that's not what's supposed to reign in us. As much as we think it's cool to be reigned by love, which that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Paul says something different. In verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. That we are to let something rule over us, to rule or to reign, which is the peace of Christ. And what does that mean, the peace of Christ? Is Paul talking about that we should feel peace as Christians? And that's what should be our rule? That should, should be guiding us? That should be our compass? Well, the Bible's all about experiencing the peace of Christ. Even in John chapter 14, Jesus said, My peace I give you, which is a noun in that passage. Which is remarkable when you think about that if you're a believer, that's what you have, whether you pick it up or not. You got it. If you don't want to use it, that's your choice. But you got it. It's like carrying a credit card around that has limitless, limitless power to it and then saying that you're poor. You can choose to do that, but it may not be true. But that's not what Paul's talking about in this passage. Paul isn't also talking about the peace with each other, that I should be at peace with you, that we should resolve our conflicts, that I should forgive and I should love, and that therefore there should be nothing between us. The Bible has lots of passages about that, and we should work to that. He even says, as it matters to you, you should be at peace with all men. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about something much more profound here. Well, maybe not profound, because those other two may be profound for you. Okay, it's profound for me. So in my world, I'm going to say this is the most profound, but in your world, you may say, no, it's third profound. Okay, whatever. 
He's talking about how Christ made the church. He's talking about at the root of all of this, do you know who you are? Do you know what he did to make you who you are? Listen to Ephesians chapter 2. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace each other. And that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name of Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He uses the apostles and the prophets for the foundations. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. He is doing something. He's doing something much more profound than this building, much more profound than any building in this city or even in this world. He is doing something supernatural in you and through you collectively together. He has made a home for himself and the Spirit. It's us. You're in. And that should be the compass. This peace that he has purchased for us, that's what's our guide. That's what's our identity. That's what marks who we are. That's what leads us. I have a New York Yankees hat. I love to wear it, even though I don't watch baseball hardly at all, because every time I wear it, I get that or I get that. <clears throat> there are no neutrals when it comes to the Yankees. It is remarkable. You know, when you walk in and there's a Yankee fan, wherever you go, they cannot contain themselves. They start to shake, and then they start moving to you, and they're like, Woo! and they say something like, Jeter, or something, you know? funny but if you get near a boston fan they're like "Mm," their hands start doing this you know there was a guy over at bread and company the other day that did not want to serve me because i was wearing that hat now it turned into a joke but i was like hey man do y'all have that cranberry nut bread and he goes we do for some people where'd you get the hat If you don't believe me, go online and just order one of those. Better yet, go online and order like a jersey and just wear it for a week. You will find a community that suffers, but they are united. You know, we laugh about that. When you go to Northern Ireland, there's a sign outside every pub, and it says, uh, what do they call the jerseys there? They call them jerseys? Are they, Dave, you don't know? They, Shirts, no, no football shirts. You cannot wear your, your sports colors in there. 
Because your soccer team is either going to bring people together or it's going to bring them together to tear them apart. It can be a violent reaction. And that's what Paul is talking about here, not in the violent reaction, but do you understand the jersey that you're wearing? It should mark you. It should be the compass of your life. It should be the lens by which you look through everything you are and do. How do we do that? Well, it gets better. All right. Because community is messy. This whole thing of being God's people, this ain't so easy. See, we're getting ready to move, you know? And you want to talk about an opportunity to kind of kick all the pieces apart. It's right now. I mean, think about it. We're moving from Sunday morning to Sunday night. And what potential is that for so many of us to say, Sunday night... Five o'clock? I don't want to move to Sunday night, you know? And some of you are going, Sunday night? That is awesome. We can stay out all Saturday night and sleep until church starts at five, you know? Some of you are like, you know, man, I'm halfway through my blender by five. You know, I don't know if I can go worship. And it's easy for us to begin to complain. Some of you got that. All right. Fruit smoothies. It's easy to say, why do we have to go all the way over there? I'm used to coming to Midtown. Why do they have those rotten, cushiony chairs there? I'm used to the plastic ones. You laugh, but it's easy to go over there next Sunday and say, something got lost because it's too comfortable. And what I'm saying is we have the potential in this move to not live out of this to set our eyes on what is seen and not on what is unseen and even start to complain. And you know, when we complain, if you're like me and, and people, you know, the situation starts rubbing you the wrong way, it's easy to start seeing everything that's happening is rubbing you the wrong way because you've taken off the glasses that God is the compass and now my situation is my compass. And even somebody waving you in the parking lot, you know, hey, I know what they mean by that. Let's leave. Let's get out of here. They're too nice, weirdos. You know what I'm saying is that we have the potential to to really see everything from a perspective that God is not calling us to have a perspective of. This is a great quote if uh, if you're a Bonhoeffer fan. Uh, He wrote a book about community, pastor uh, in Germany during the Nazi invasion, lost his life in a concentration camp. He said... Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the very first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him or her a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and they try to realize it. But by God's grace, speedily will shatter such dreams. Let me read that again. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment. With others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. Because what does Christian community do? It shatters the pretense. It moves past the images. 
And it goes in the nitty-gritty inconsistency of you. When I meet with couples that want to get married, I ask them, do you ever struggle living with yourself? And they go, yeah. And I said, yeah. And you're about to invite somebody else into that struggle now. But that's real. That's where life is, isn't it? Why do we let it rain? Because we are one family. We are the house God is building. No more black, no more white, no more rich, no more poor, no more good-looking, no more ugly, no more cool, no more fool, no more home, no more homeless, no more man or woman. We are united in what Christ has done, and we are who he has made us to be. That's what rules. That's what guides. That's what compasses us. That's what defines us, directs us. That's what reigns. Okay, that sounds so great. That's like so church, isn't it? How do we do that? How does that become a reality? Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So let's pretend that's their heart. Alright? So we're going to be ruled, but then... Let the word of Christ dwell. What does that mean? Let the word of Christ dwell in me. I'm forgiving, I'm loving, I'm living out the reality of who we are. I'm going to let the peace of Christ, what he's done in uniting us, reign over me. But now I'm going to let the word dwell in me. When I was in college, my freshman year, our school was running out of space. So I was in a room that was 12 by 16 and there were four of us that lived in it. Two sets of bunk beds. And my bunk mate was a 260-pound, six-foot-two guy that went to school there but didn't make the team but was hoping to make the football team that year. He was big. He had this weird smell about him because we were in Louisiana and we had no air conditioning in our dorms. His sweat glands worked overtime, and he lived out of a box. Like, all his clothes were in the box, and every morning he would, he would do the grab and sniff. <laughs> Which one was the cleanest? He was just big, large. When he walked into the room, you had to stop what you were doing and make room for him. No, I mean, I'm not kidding. When he came in, if you were eating pizza, it changed the whole game if he walked in. Because he could eat the whole thing by himself. Stay away from the pizza. When we lived with him, we had to make room for him. And that's what Paul is talking about. That we are the people that we let the story come and live in us. So that we can live in the story. We make room so that it can dwell with us. We make such radical room that we make time to study it. We make time to wrestle with it. We make time to know it. We make time to live in it because this is too important just to hear it on Sunday morning. Way too important that we to adjust our lives to make room to let this story come into our lives like that tree and start to plant seeds and take root. To change us. To transform us. To change the way we see, the way we listen, the way we understand, the way we hear. It's remarkable because when it starts to take seed, it does weird things like it turns suffering into joy. It turns challenge into opportunity. It helps us become more contemplative about our own lives and spending time with the Lord. 
I mean, it's weird. When we make room for the Holy Spirit to come in and bring the story, the words of Christ, to come into us, man, it changes the words that we have received all our lives. They begin to do battle with them. And I don't know about you, but, well, I do know about you. Every one of you have voices from your past that are fighting to have this place in your heart. Every one of you. Someone, somewhere, and it may have been you, started to tell you something about you that had nothing to do with this right here. But it has planted its seed and it has grown a huge tree in your heart to where you believe you can't, you shouldn't, you ought to, or you fill in the blank. And it has robbed you from being you because it is a lie. And Paul is saying, you've got to make room here now for the truth. And when the truth comes in, it is greedy. It's greedy for the ground of the garden of your heart. And if you're going to plant the truth there, guess what it's going to push out? It's going to push out all that other stuff. It's going to challenge it. It's going to take all those shoulds, and it is going to take a machete to them. All the ought-tos that have robbed you of the joy of anything that has to do with your faith, it's going to take a machete to them. And what is it going to birth in its place? It's going to birth stuff that's going to mess you up. Because your family system and your past isn't going to be able to handle the kind of truth that he's exploding in that place. I'm telling you. Because when that starts to happen, guess what you start doing? And this is, this is hard for some of you to believe. You start to sing. He says it. As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. As you sing. When this starts to happen, it explodes in Jerry Maguire. You know, the whole movie where he's a sports agent and he's leaving. Who's with me? You know, he's got his goldfish, you know. And, and what's the actress name that went with him? Renee. Renee. All right. And so she goes with him. And after he signs his first deal, you know, they don't know if they're going to make it. You know, they believe in themselves. They believe that maybe there's some truth to what they're doing. And they sit at the table and they shake hands with this guy. And he says, man, my word's like oak. And, uh, and they, they leave there, he leaves there, he gets in his car, and what was planted there now has come to the surface. And, and he is so excited, he can't contain himself, he's just got to sing. You know, he's, you remember this scene, he's in the car, and he turns on the radio, and like, the first song, eh, he tries to sing it, no, 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 no. And then he goes to the second channel, eh, third channel, and finally he lands on the song that he bellows out. You remember what that song was? Tom Petty. He is a gift from the Lord <laughs> to all of us when we need to sing beautiful songs of when we are falling and we know that we've jumped over the cliff and there's no other place that we want to be. Because we have left it all behind. And we have said, I am going to let this reign in me now. And he's screaming it at the top of his lungs. Have you ever had that experience in worship? I mean, like in the shower. Not just here. Like, God, you have set me free. I am not my past anymore. I am not that sin. I am not that failure. I am yours. And because I am yours, it changes the whole playing field. Because it's dwelling there. I've made room for it. And when I made room for it, It changed the landscape of my whole dorm room. 
And then finally, how do we do that? That sounds great. How do we forgive? How do we love? How do we let rain? How do we let the word dwell? He says in verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, midtown, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything? When Midtown was just a, a dream, and uh, God had me in an uh, apartment that we transferred, transformed into our offices, which was cool because my office had a shower in it. <clears throat> and I swore this is the year I'm going to run the marathon. Like, I can run and shower. And I never did it. Um, and we were just dreaming about, Lord, what are you going to do? And we needed furniture for this apartment slash office. There was a buddy of mine that I, I think he's in the mafia, and he owned, wasn't a believer. I don't think he's still a believer, but I love him, and he loves me for some reason, and we're great. And he owned all these uh, warehouses of used furniture. There are companies like that. They buy, or they are, they, whatever, all right? They got, anyway, it's too long, and we're out of time. Uh, and he basically said, hey, go to this address and tell Al when you walk in the door that I sent you. And basically, he'll have a truck there, and you just point out whatever you want. And it's yours for free. You know? So I'm stepping over the dead bodies in the lobby. You know? <clears throat> Yo, Guido! You know? No. So I walk in, and uh, it was Al. Big Al. You know? What? What do you want? And I said, well, uh, hey, so-and-so sent me. And he said, just pick out whatever we want. And so we're in this little frontal office, and he goes, he sent you, huh? I said, yeah. And he said, pick out whatever you want. I said, that's what he said. And uh, so he made a phone call, and he came back in, and he goes, okay, Mr. Drawn, come on back with me. And we went through this door, and we walked into, imagine this times 30. And there are shelves that stack all the way to the ceiling, and it's all furniture. And he goes... Here's my guy. You just, just walk through and just point, you know? So I walked in and started pointing. We furnished the whole, bar, uh, the whole well, office. And what I'm saying is that when, we, when I walked in, I walked in in somebody else's name. But his name had authority to it, and his name had power to it, so much so that I was able to benefit from the power and the authority that this guy had gained by his name. Now, who knows what he did to gain that power and authority? <clears throat> all I knew is I didn't want to know, all right? I just liked riding the coattails of his authority. And that's what Paul is saying here, that we have one who has authority and power to his name. And he is now inviting us. Get this. He's now inviting us into the warehouse of life. And he is saying, by my authority and by my power. Well, what do we do? Does that mean he's going to make us rich? Maybe. Does that mean he's going to give you whatever you want? Maybe. Does that mean that he's going to do something remarkable and give you what you really want? Just maybe. Is it possible for us to believe that before the beginning of time, God prepared you and works that he was calling you into even before you existed. Well, it's in the Bible. 
is it just maybe that your life isn't an accident? That the way he's made you, the way he made you look, the way he's got you acting, the gifts that he's given you, you are so uniquely gifted for this time, for this space, for this season, that this is your time. This is your generation. This is the time where David had his time, Abraham had his time, but now is our time. And he has called us in that, and he says, I dare you now to call upon the power, call upon the gifts Believe First Peter when he says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything I've called you into, you will have everything you need. Just point. Is that possible? Is that possible by that power? If I begin to practice that by his name, I can call his word into my heart. By his name, I can call my life under his reign. By his name, I can now walk in the reality that I'm guided by something greater than my own failures and my own lack of being able to do it. Okay, and this is the last point. Because I think that for us to do this, to do everything, um, we, we need a spark. A couple of years ago, those of you who are here, you remember the YouTube video we showed of the guy pouring gasoline over the bonfire and then throwing a match into it? Yeah, that was a memorable sermon. <clears throat> that was the day I was saved, but who cares about that? <clears throat> no. The fire starter. The fuse to light the powder keg of community. A community that is clothed in Christ is what? The miracle grow of the tree that he is planting. In your life and in this community, what is it? It's thankfulness. Listen to this. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he starts the whole book of Colossians with, we always thank God. And so Paul and his disciples with him said, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. In chapter uh, 1 and verse 12, he's talking about strength. He's talking about power. He's talking about endurance. He's talking about fruit. He's talking about growth. And he says in the middle of all of that, the Do all in the name of the Lord. He said, give thanks always. In chapter 2, just as you receive Christ, continue to live in him, overflowing with thankfulness. That our lives are to be so thankful that it's like carrying a bucket that the water's filled up to the top and you can't help but just spill it everywhere. That's the image that we have. Always be thankful. And then in this passage, he says it three times. 15, 16, and 17. Be thankful. Be grateful. Always giving thanks. Overflowing. Always the discipline of thanks. Why? Because we all know, if you watch Oprah, that if you're thankful, it makes you happier. You should be grateful people. That makes you nice people. That's true, isn't it? I mean, uh, but there is a kernel of truth here that is powerful, Midtown. As we're getting ready to move, I want you to hear this. When, it, when the Israelites left uh, Egypt, not that we're leaving Egypt, there's no comparison there, all right? But when the Israelites left Egypt, they came to the Red Sea. They became to an impossible situation, and they wanted anything in their past was better than their current present, anything. They'd go back and be slaves again, but now they're trapped between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. 
They would trade anything not to be in that moment. But that moment was the defining moment that we would talk about until the end of the world. Isn't it? And what happened? God opened the Red Sea, and the Israelites got through to the other side. And guess what they did when they went on the other side? They began to sing. And you know what they sang? You can go read it if you want, Exodus chapter 15. This is what they began to sing. You threw the horse and rider into the sea. Look what you did. Thank you. Good Lord, who are you? Then they went back to, we were running through the Red Sea, and man, they were coming, and you, you destroyed them. Look what you did. Thank you. Good God, who are you? They kept going back from, look what you did. Thank you. Who are you? You're amazing. You're unbelievable. Look what you did. I can't believe that. Thank you. Oh, wow. This is a revelation of who you are. All that thanks, all that remembering, brought them to this verse right here, verse 13. In your unfailing love, how did they know about his unfailing love? Because what he did, and they remembered it. And they dedicated their lives to give him thanks for it. And now they're remembering, because of your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them, oh, your holy dwelling. In other words, we give thanks to see who you are and what you've done so that we have courage to believe what you promise that you will do. We give thanks because we want to remember the great work that you've done in our lives and praise you for it so that we can understand more of our revelation of you so that we can claim the promises of what you promise to be tomorrow. You see it? So let's do that. Let's do it. Let's take a moment. Let's, let's stop and let's be thankful. It's not a time of grieving. This is not a time of forgetting. This is a time of remembering what the Lord's done. What he's done so that we could be thankful for it. So that we would be a people that's reigned. That he comes to dwell in all that we do, we do in the name of the Lord. So what we're going to do is give you a chance to experience that. As the tree that God has planted, guess what? He's done a lot of things in this room. You're fruit of that. You've experienced a lot of the fruit of the work of the Spirit. You know that when we take the Lord's table, some of you come from a tradition where the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist, which actually is translated in Greek just thanks, to give thanks. So we're going to have a different way to give thanks this morning. We're going to go into a season of worship. We're going to go into a season of worship and prayer. And during that time, I want to encourage you to go back to our tree back here. On the table and on the barrels, there's paper and pen. And I, I want you to write on a piece of paper, what are you thankful for? What has God done in this place? What has he done in your life? And hang it on the tree. Let's have a tree that bears the fruit of the work of God in this place. Because as we remember and as we proclaim, we declare who he is so that we can claim his promises for where he's leading us in the future. And where's Midtown going to be in six years? Where are you going to be in six years? Who knows? Where's the Lord going to be in six years? 
He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So I want to invite you, as the Lord leads you, during one of the songs or during the prayer, feel free at any point between now and the end of the service to move back to the table, grab a piece of paper, write something on that paper, and and clip it onto the tree. And let's bear the fruit as a community. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, uh, there really is so much at stake here this morning. Because uh, what's at stake is that if we leave here and we, we say that these things are just too much for us, that you reign by what you've done, that you want to dwell with us, and you invite us by your authority to live our lives in everything we do, from playing to talking to worshiping to reading, whatever. If we don't let you reign, what do we let reign? If we're not letting you dwell, what do we let dwell? And if it's not your name we do these things in, whose name is it that we do these things in? God, we pray that you would come and meet us in our need for you. We need you, Father, to remind us of the fruit that you've done in our lives in this room. Many of us and most of us are not the same person we were seven years ago. And let us give you praise, Lord, and let praise be the catapult that catapults us into that place where you rule, dwell, and work in us that everything we do is to your glory. Thank you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.